you're listening to the Montreal Hockey Now podcast. Join your hosts, Jimmy and Marco, as they talk everything about your Montreal Canadiens. Now here's your host, Jimmy and Marco. All right, here we are, Marco. Our first live stream. We tried it last week. Didn't work, but I'm Jimmy Murphy here, and I'm Marco D'Amico joining me. Oh, and we got to turn down the mute on the YouTube right last week. There we go. So, after a dis- <laughs> I won't call it a disaster because I thought our conversation was great at McLean's Pub a week ago today, but a disaster tech wise, uh, it happens. Murphy's Law was definitely hanging over me, as uh, we'll get into later. So, we'll just call it, we'll chalk it up to that. And hopefully, we are getting the voodoo away from us today. Uh, here on the Montreal Hockey Now podcast, lots to talk about. We are now, what, four days past the NHL trade deadline where the Montreal Canadiens were very active on trade deadline day and before. And now let's just break it down for the next half hour here and, and, and give each other's reactions. And, and also, you know, you wrote a story today uh, about Kent Hughes admitting uh, on TSN on the broadcast on Thursday night that they had a deal in place with an NHL team for Jeff Petrie. And I think as we've discussed before here uh, in writing and just in our private conversations, uh, you know, when we report things that ha- uh, are being discussed about it, you know, leading into the trade deadline, but they don't happen, that doesn't mean they weren't discussed. That doesn't mean we were wrong. In, in, in fact, it only means that it was discussed and it, it definitely usually sets the table for trades in the future, whether that be at the draft or in the offseason or even in the next season. Things get revisited all the time. I mean, I remember Don Sweeney saying that he, he felt as if 75% of the trades he's made since he's been general manager of the Bruins were based on previous trade discussions earlier in the year or even the year before. So just because some of these things don't go down doesn't mean they won't in the future. And I think we we both agree, Marco, that the Montreal Canadiens are far from done when it comes to NHL trades, uh, especially as we get into the offseason and the draft in Montreal is going to be pretty exciting. There was a pro scout next to me last night that basically said, oh, yeah, we, we keep scouting after trade deadline because most of the talks that fell through at trade deadline are going to be revisited this summer. And our task is to follow how those players that we circled in on do after trade deadline to see if they finish the season strong or not. So it fits right into that. I think when you look at the ensemble and the way that we looked at, you know, the cap and how that limited a bunch of things and a lot of teams looking to move players with term and we know there's an appetite for that because we've seen players with term move we uh, you know we talked about uh, Arturi Lekkanen moving not necessarily term but a controlled asset you look at Tyler Toffoli same concept so there's clearly an appetite for movement and Elliot Friedman on his 32 thoughts podcast like just now stated that he expects this to be one of the most wild off seasons in a long time expect a lot of buyouts uh, in the buyout period as well um, so it's going to be run and gun. And, you know, I listened carefully to the words that Kent Hughes used. And Kent Hughes used exactly this. We were very close with one team, but there were many teams that were interested in Jeff Petrie. And so if he was interested in, say, just one one team in closing out a deal, there were multiple teams in on him. And there's bound to be more in the offseason. Should Jeff Petrie finish the season off correctly? Now, 
he's injured, so we don't know exactly what the uh, what the extent is. He'll be reevaluated today. But if he's able to finish the season off right, I think that Hughes will have all the firepower needed to move a player like him, and it'd be a hockey deal that benefits both clubs. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I, I, look, it's it's interesting too. You bring up the Lekkinen uh, deal there, and um, I don't know if you read our colleague Adrian Dater at Colorado yeah. Hockey Now. I mean, yeah. He thinks the Habs did pretty well. He can't believe that they traded Justin Barron. You know, he, he said, this is asinine. And he, he, he just can't believe blasted, it. He blasted Joe Sackett for that. So I mean, for all, for all you Canadians fans out there right now, you know, sulking about having to move Lekin in, uh, just stop the sulking. Be happy. Um, you can look, do both. You can yeah, do both. You can do both. But you know what? In the long run, I mean, if you want a better team going forward, uh, you're not going to be able to invest that much money in a bottom, you know, a bottom six forward. Uh, and that's no offense to Lekin. And Lekin is a great serviceable player. I think he's going to be a crucial playoff player for the Colorado Avalanche. I think Dater's maybe underestimating that. But at the same time, the Habs have so many holes to fill. They have so many areas that they need to allot cap space that they weren't going to be able to let it be eaten up in the bottom six. So they did what they had to do, and they got a great prospect there. And I, I think... Look, you and I have said this over and over, on and off the air. Kent Hughes has come in from the get-go at his press conference, and he has laid a ground, uh, laid the groundwork down, put out a plan, been very transparent, and basically just done everything he said he was going to do. Almost, you know, theoretically, he, yeah. he said he wasn't planning on moving Lekkonen. He said yeah. he wasn't planning on moving Kulak. Uh, I, like if, you know, if you if you believe that, then I have an oceanfront property in Arizona. No, it's it's yeah. Well, I mean, I'll take that too. But uh, definitely, you know, when you look at positioning, and I think that that's where it's key here is Ken Hughes did not put himself in a position to be looked at like he was going to execute a fire sale. And right. now what we're hearing is this was going to be a full-on fire sale because we already had we already saw three trades the same day. We had we saw Hammond get traded to New Jersey. We saw the Arturi Lekkonen trade with, with Justin Barron. Uh, and we obviously saw Brett Kulak go to Edmonton. But what we didn't see was Shea Weber not get traded, even though it came close. What we didn't see was Jeff Petrie get traded, even though that came close. So clearly, you know, he was working the phones. There were multiple deals on the table. And he positioned himself publicly as being a guy that wasn't looking to make moves. And I think that's the, that's the key difference. It's yeah. that... This market is used to a GM saying that he's not going to make moves and then ultimately doesn't make moves. Uh, inaction, uh, a fear of losing deals. And we saw complete and total control, utter bravery in the face of, of being a rookie general manager. And honestly, like an aloofness to, 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 to the way that he went about it. So I think, you know, if we want to evaluate the trades, that's, that's another thing. But I think his strategy was sound. Yeah, you know, that's a great point there, too. And it kind of made me, as you're talking there, I'm thinking back to what his boss did or his partner, whatever you want to call it, with Jeff Gordon. Uh, you know, what he did with the Rangers, he came out right away and they wrote that letter, remember? And they said, we're going to have a fire sale. We're going to have an auction right now. And they went out and they did that. However, as, th as time moved on, he shifted more into what we're seeing Kent Hughes do right now. And we're going to continue to see him do that. He's he's addressing the future, but he's going to also address the present. They are going to, like you said, when that Petrie deal goes down or maybe when other deals go down, there's going to be bodies, NHL bodies, coming back to the Montreal Canadiens. It's not going to be all picks 
and prospects. I don't There's think so. There's going to no. be actually proven NHLers coming back, and there's going to be proven NHLers coming to Canadians on the free agent market. And he's already made that clear. So that's going to be interesting to follow as well. But I want to go right now to the chat room. And uh, Philip is uh, asking us, uh, Philippe or Philip, I apologize if I got the pronunciation wrong. Uh, he's saying, what would be a reasonable package uh, to be able to move Weber in? What's your take on that, Marco? I don't think you need a package to move Weber. I think that if teams were interested, you know, I think you may have to throw in a mid-round pick. Worst case scenario, like the Canadians have three-thirds and three-fourths. Uh, if, if it really needs to be moved to that degree, I think it'll happen. But again, we're looking at the way that the Arizona Coyotes are building out their roster right now. Uh, if Jacob Chitron is moved, I don't see many free agents signing in Arizona. They're going to need that contract. I think that there's going to be two or three floor teams the next season. And one of them is going to ask for Weber's contract. And I honestly, like, I there are a lot of LTIR contracts expiring over the next two years, but Weber's is the best bang for buck because it's $6 million over four years at a cap hit of 7.8. So yeah. theoretically, we do the math here. Uh, that's $31.4 million that yeah. is theoretically being put on your cap for four years split, you know, to 7.8 million that you only pay $6 million in actual dollars for. 3 million of which are is next year. So I think that's a valuable LTIR contract, especially for a team looking to reach that floor who knows they're not going to be competitive. I also see competitive teams that might want to acquire that contract because they can put it on summer LTIR and then kind of make their way into the season, activate them, put them back on LTIR and utilize that space. So I don't necessarily just think it's Arizona. I think, and as Hugh said, there were multiple teams that were interested. Well, by the way, not to interrupt you, but didn't didn't Arizona reach their limit? I forget who they acquired, and that that's why they couldn't take on Weber. I think they, from what I read from Elliot Freeman, uh, they had definitely had discussions to acquire Weber's contract, but then in another deal that made more sense for them, I guess, on their roster as well. I forget who the guy was. It's going to drive Brian me Brian Little. It was Little. Thank you. And so that that put them at their limit of, of the LTI contracts that they could take on. Uh, now they could obviously, you know, get rid of one of those or shed one of those in the summer and then take them on. But as of right now, as we currently speak, Arizona is not a candidate to do that. No, as we speak, no, but like, you're going to have a lot of guys. Cause right now I think they have like $21 million in on LTIR, uh, as we speak. So you have Brian little, but then you also have the contract for Andrew Ladd. You also have Dimitri Yaskin, Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, all on LTIR right now, or IR, uh, extended. So that was probably the what inhibited that. Now, uh, Jaskin, uh, Roussel, and Beagle are all unrestricted free agents this summer. That's $9.2 million in LTIR off the books. Um, so you can definitely see a Weber deal materializing in something like this because they'll still have one year left on the LAD contract, and then it'll be Brian Little for two years. So it, to me, it makes a ton of sense um, because their roster looking at it right now for next year that's not going to be a very deep roster. I mean, as we speak right now, they're under the salary. Uh, they're at thir- they have $33 million in free space. They're projected at $47 million Do they even have year. 10 guys under contract? And they have 13. <laughs> uh, in terms of, like, on the roster, they have 25 players yeah, signed to a standard contract. But, like, keep in mind that... Uh, Dylan Gunther is probably going to make uh, the, the the show for them next year. Whoever they draft first overall is probably going to make it in the show next year. Victor Soderstrom is probably going to make the show next year. 
So it's there's a lot of players in their prospect pool that are going to make the show, but they're stocking up on guys that are on their entry-level contracts, and I don't see bonafide NHL players that are going to be you know asking for good money, wanting to go play in front of 5,000 fans at, at Arizona State. So they're going to have to find some other way to reach the salary cap floor, and that's where I think Montreal can take advantage with Shea Weber because that gives them the flexibility over the four-year span they're going to be at Arizona State to be at the salary cap floor at minimum without expenditure being 60 million or up. Yeah. They're going to be playing at Arizona state. That's still, I just, I just, it, it's a whole other episode of a podcast that we yeah. could do. It just, it's just, it's just baffling to it me. It makes no sense. It makes no sense when, you know, what uh, a couple hours North of where you are right now, uh, there's a brand, well, not brand spanking new, but a very state of the art modern arena that could see a lot more fans and would be packed every single game if they just put a team there. Uh, but we digress. All right, let's get back to the Canadians talk here right now. Just your general reaction, it, it, big picture, or, or or narrow it down. I mean, was there, was there anything specific that caught you by surprise that the Canadians did before the 2022 NHL trade deadline? I cannot believe any of the deals that, that Ken Hughes got. And I'm not trying to sound like a fanboy here. It's actually quite the opposite. If you would have told me three months ago that Brett Kulak would have returned a second, a seventh, and a, and, and a roster player, um, I would have asked you if Peter Chiarelli had come out of retirement. You know, like it's, <laughs> you know, or, or or Mike Milbury for that matter. But lo and behold, it was... Yeah, let's uh, go with Milbury. Chiarelli would at least won a cup. Yeah, no, yeah, at least won a cup. But then, <laughs> anyhow... Um, it was one for one, as they say. Um, I don't, I don't understand how a team like Edmonton, who did not want to move anything basically uh, to to improve their team, not 24 hours before, turned around and gave a second round pick for native Edmontoner uh, Brett Kulak. I found that interesting, but again, we talked about this before. The deal that made me fall right off my seat was was the Lekkonen trade. I just I've known Justin Barron since he was playing in the queue at 16 years old for the Halifax Mooseheads. Like I used to watch him. He was well ranked in my my 2020 draft rankings. Uh, anybody who saw him play knew that they were getting a very reliable strong two-way defenseman that was going to be eventually a top four in this league. So to get that and a second round pick in 2024 um, which, you know, a lot of people were laughing at, like, hey, you know, it's three years in, in advance. Who knows what's going to happen? The last time the Montreal Canadiens acquired a second-round pick from a contending team, three drafts from now, that pick ended up being in the first 10 of the second round because the Chicago Blackhawks bombed. Oh, and yeah, who, did they draft, who did they draft with that second-round pick? Alexander Romanov. Who was the most used defenseman for the Montreal Canadiens last night? Alexander Romanov. So don't spit on future first, uh, f- uh, future second round picks way in advance for a team that could potentially be deconstructed in three years from now. Yeah, that's a great point, man. I mean, yeah, Calgary's in their win now, right? And they know that they, they're, they, they're r- risking the future right now to go for it. And they know that. And that's, that's fine. That's their prerogative. And I don't blame them, Monk, because I think they do have a great window to win right now. Top three in the West easy of, you know, who I think could come out of the West, you know, you got Colorado, you got Calgary and I don't know. Who would you put in there after them? Minnesota? 
I was thinking Minnesota, especially after the flurry trade. I think that, you know, that was the one sentiment I was unsure of was in net because, I mean, Kaprizov is just taking off for them offensively. So it's, yeah. I think they have their bases covered. I, I do like Minnesota. Um, I liked St. Louis as well until Tory Krug's injury. Uh, now we'll see what's up with that. Um, but one team I think is going to surprise a lot of people, uh, and no one's talking about them, is the LA Kings. Yep. I, well, you and I have talked about them, though. Yeah, no, I'm, in the media. I don't think anybody's giving them their just their due. Yeah. And well, very, very good segue there, because let's get into uh, you know the, the big topic of today, and you already wrote on it. I urge our readers to check it out over at Montreal Hockey Now, and we started the show off with it a bit, the Jeff Petrie situation. And I, I, I can confirm this now, Marco. Uh, not I can't confirm that L.A. is the team that Kent Hughes was referring to, but I can confirm with authority that they had multiple discussions with the L.A. Kings regarding Jeff Petrie. That is coming from a source very close to the situation, uh, and the L.A. Kings were definitely interested in him I also heard, uh, and I've been hearing this forever, that the Detroit Red Wings circled back in on him as well. Steve Eisman has liked him for a while. Petrie's made it be known. Obviously, he'd love to go home to Michigan. Uh, so, And he has some control of where he goes. So that's a, that's a factor right there. One team I heard, though, that, that had kind of kicked the tires. I don't know how far it got, but it, it really it, it baffled me that they were involved in it. it was the Chicago Blackhawks. And I, I, I'm just trying to make sense out of that. And well, the right side. I mean, it, the first of all, I think the the uh, Seth Jones trade uh, basically cost them everything. Well, they're trying to move level. him now. Supposedly, according to Friedman, they're trying to move him now. They're trying to move Seth Jones. Yes. Yeah. There's, a, there's they're looking into maybe he gets moved. He's part of this, you know, blowing it up part where it might be Kane, it might be Taves, and Seth Jones is now being mentioned in that same breath. Can you imagine going to Seth Jones after he signed that deal and saying, uh, yeah, we're, you know, we suck. We're going to uh, blow it up here. So sorry. Well, if they're going to trade him, they have to do it before July, I guess, 13th. Uh, yep. I'm assuming that's when contracts kick in because his new deal that he signed hasn't started yet. Right. So there, they, he has a 10 team, no trade right now uh, up until his contract, his new contract kicks in, and that is a full eight-year no-move. Wow. Um, so if they're going to move him, this is the window. This is the time. And yeah. hopefully they can recoup some of their assets because Boquist has been playing very well. Uh, the first-round pick that Columbus got from Chicago last year, Cole Sillinger, uh, has been lights out for them as a rookie this year. Uh, second round pick that they used to get uh, Jake Bean, and they still have Chicago's first round pick this year, unless one of, unless their first round pick wins the lottery, in which case it goes to twenty twenty four. So it's it's things are not looking good in Chicago, and and moving getting a player like Peachy would make very little sense to me uh, unless there was no salary whatsoever coming back to the Montreal Canadiens, uh, yeah. and Chicago would be looking to basically have someone to, to steer the ship. I, st I don't see Chicago. I think Detroit makes sense. Dallas makes sense. LA hey. makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I know that the Carolina Hurricanes have been in love with Jeff Petrie since the dawn of time. Yeah, So sure. Th there is no shortage of teams that are going to be interested in Jeff Petrie in the summer. And if the Canadians uh, and other teams are going to be creative and have that, fisc that fiscal flexibility, then so be it. 
I can tell you a team that was rumored to be interested in them. I can confirm they're not. It's a New Jersey Devils. Yeah, no. Just they're not interested. That's all I'll say with that. Um, but going back to the LA Kings, Marco, if you're looking at their, you know, their current roster or even guys about to push for roster spots uh, that Kent Hughes would target, who are you liking? Well, I mean, they t- they kind of took care of defensemen because my initial spot was going to be Jordan Spence. Um, okay. I really, really like him. But now Jordan Spence is in in uh, Dowdy's absence is the most used player on their team uh, last you know, last two games or so. So I mean, props to him because he was a special player in the queue when he played uh, in Quebec. Um, you know, I was looking at Sean Dersey. He's also established himself as well. And I think the Canadians have you know loaded up enough on. Uh, on forwards, uh, on defensemen, uh, especially with Barron and now possibly even signing Harris. Uh, they're going to have a lot of influx of, of defensemen. So I think you have to look at forward. And I don't think there's anybody on the proper, like the LA Kings roster that they would necessarily trade. And I know a lot of people will immediately go to like, oh, Alex Turcotte or like, oh, uh, you know, Fagamo or stuff like that. I don't think so, but a player that they could potentially hone in on would be Tyler Madden. And there's a reason why I say Tyler Madden. It seems like Kent Hughes has a thing for Huskies uh, (laughs) that used to play for Northeastern. I mean, Caden Primo's the goalie in Laval. Jordan Harris is probably going to get signed. Jaden Strubel's already there. Um, His son plays for them. Martin St. Louis' son plays for them. He's he's probably going to be at the game tonight. Uh, If there's a guy that knows who Tyler Madden is, it's more likely going to be Ken Hughes. So uh, he's a player that fits in exactly what he wa- what they want. I think what that he's going to get. I invest in. Yeah, uh, I think he's. I think he's. Uh, he fits right into what they want to do. The speed, uh, the age group, the the the, the skills. Um, I feel like in LA he's going to get lost in the shuffle, especially at center. Um, you look at you know right now they have Kopitar signed till, geez, till I'm forty, and then uh, <laughs> you know you have. Uh, Byfield, who they invested a second overall pick on. Uh, they have uh, Turcotte, who they invested a fifth overall pick on that they want to keep trying at center. And they have Velarde, uh, Jarrett Anderson-Dolan. They have tons of uh, – Rasmus Kupari. Like, they have tons of players that can play center uh, that don't make sense uh, for, for, for Tyler Madden. And then, again, at right wing, I don't think, again, it makes sense because they're full of depth there with Arthur Kaliev and others. So I think that's a player that I could see Ken Hughes kind of hone in on as kind of like the fixture in a Petri deal. Yeah, great call by you. And I'll tell you one guy that, you know, we had discussed it, and I told you he might be involved in something with Jake DeBrusque is uh, outside file. And, you know, I, I, we found it surprising that we're hearing his name, considering he's in the first year of a four-year Just signed, exactly. But it's a very reasonable cap hit, and you, you just mentioned it, not only at center, even on the wings. I mean, L.A. is so stacked with the people coming through their system right now that they may, they may be willing to move guys on the roster that are still early in a reasonably cap hit deal. So I think there's, you know, there's a lot of things that can mix and match there with L.A., not just for the Canadians in L.A., for a lot of teams with L.A., they're going to be a very active team. And I think you, you're right that in the playoffs, I, I think they can win around at least. I, I do think this team is ready to take it to the next level. And we're not, we're not going to mention his name more than once, but man, what a season Denali's having, huh? Oh, you mentioned him 
any and as many times as you possibly can. Wow. The Montreal Canadiens are in the situation they're in right now, in my honest opinion, because they let Dano go. Yeah. Out of all, like, you can count the injuries, you can count whatever. The Canadians have had injuries before, but they've never been that disorganized, structurally speaking, uh, because Phil Dano has never missed any amount of time. Now you see it. This is what happens when you have a strong center line. The Canadians had that last year with Suzuki and Dano. They no longer had that. Suzuki had to take that all in, and Christian Dvorak didn't live up to expectations. So I'm really happy for 20-goal scorer Phil Dano, and I'm glad that he's more than earning his paycheck. I think he's almost, I think at this point he's a steal. Um, but, yeah, that's why L.A. is in the position they're in, and I wouldn't even be surprised if they had more Canadians uh, by the end of the summer. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Well, look, as we said, things are not done when it comes to the Montreal Canadiens. You're going to, like you said, they're going to keep scouting right now. They're going to have their amateur scouts, as we said, right at the NCAA tournament right now, obviously. I mean, Kent Hughes is in Worcester right now watching Northeastern. By the way, Northeastern losing right now as we speak, as we record, they are down 1-0 to Western Michigan, headed to the third period. Um, So we'll see what happens there. And then, of course, uh, my alma mater and the defending national champions, UMass Minutemen, are playing at 6 p.m. Uh, against Minnesota. A very tough draw for the Minutemen there, but uh, they're going to win. Go UMass. At least you didn't get Michigan. Yeah, yeah. that They are a powerhouse. Like you said, they could probably beat a couple AHL teams right now. So, hey, it's listen, Marco, always a pleasure, buddy. It was great hanging out with you last week. We could go right now, man. We were... We were sitting in a nice packed Irish pub, McLean's Pub on Peel Street on St. Patty's weekend, uh, having a great time. It was great to catch up with you and with John Goins and with Stu, the owner of McLean's, so many other people there. What a great time I had, and thanks to everyone for always being so welcoming to me when I visit my favorite city on the road. Uh, For the Montreal Hockey Now podcast, that's Marco D'Amico. I'm Jimmy Murphy. We'll talk to you next week.